Welcome one and all to Real Asian Podcast. I am Ray Liu and I'm joined today with Pragya, Baldwin, and a returning guest, Han. Welcome back, Han. How you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Pragya, Baldwin, how are you guys doing? Thank you for spending Friday night with me. Of course. Yeah, yeah. doing great. Very excited to talk about this subject. I know. Me too. Who, who's going to the club right afterwards? <laughs> I don't think so. It's already past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah, that would be me, but I'm not feeling well. Normally, it would be me. <laughs> Today, we are talking about all about Wong Kar Wai. If you know anything about Hong Kong cinema or just cinema in general, right? His name should be pretty familiar to you. Um, and I'll just kind of go over the uh, brief history of Wong Kar Wai and just an overview. But then generally, this whole episode is dedicated to his career and his filmography. So I'm sure we're going to uh, have lots and lots of fun conversation about his different movies, uh, all the important works that he's done and what he means to the grand scheme uh, in the grand scheme of things. Right. So uh, Wong Kar Wai, born in 1958 in Shanghai, he actually started out as a screenwriter. Um, and he worked on a film with Patrick Tam. His first directorial film, As Tears Go By, came out in 1988. He would eventually reach international superstardom with a career stretching all the way through 2013 and beyond. But in terms of his uh, director films, 2013, he's often regarded as one of the greatest directors of all time, known for his complex storylines, nonlinear fashion, and narratives. And he's won multiple, multiple international awards. Uh, let me just kind of go briefly through his filmography. As I mentioned, his first film, As Tears Go By, came out in 1988. Days of Being Wild, 1990. In 1994, Chunking Express and Ashes of Time came out the same year. 1995, Fallen Angels. 1997, Happy Together. 2000, In the Mood for Love. 2004, 2046. And also came out with uh, The Hand. 2007 was My Blueberry Nights. And then 2013 was The Grand Master. Again, he's continued his work, but th those were the films that he he's directed. I want to start with kind of early on in his career in the early years, because as, as successful he would eventually become, he's had some struggles early on. So let's start with just 1988. Um, but he, I mean, he didn't struggle right with his uh, first directorial uh, film, 1988's Tears Go By. Uh, but, uh, I think Han, you mentioned that this is kind of, you think that this is more of his breakthrough film. Yeah, it's definitely his breakthrough film is his first like full feature directorial. And as, if I remember correctly, it made him a decent amount of money because most people were marketing it as like a gangster film. Yeah. And during this time too, like Hong Kong cinema was really all about that like crime genre, gangster, uh, mafia kind of genre, right? It was really big during this time. I think it's like a familiar film to a lot of people um, because of just like the way that I think like that stuff was really common too, like debt collection and like your stupid ass bros and whatever. So <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, um, just speaking to like his overall, like sort of like works, that one is like one of the most, um, I want to say like least romantic in a way, or I mean, it's romantic, but like not in the way that the other ones kind of hit that note. Right. Yeah. I think the theme for As Tears Go By was definitely bros before romantic love. <laughs> <laughs> bros before romance. 
It's a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, and, and again, I guess I guess because he was trying to break into you know the film industry, and this was very popular at the time, and so you really couldn't go wrong with uh, like creating a genre that everyone really seemed to enjoy. And uh, you know, it. This is also, I think, when John Woo's a better tomorrow kind of came out around this time. And so he's kind of going on the heels of that as well. It's still like a tragic film, but you know, like <laughs> it, it's got some other like pieces to it. Yeah. I love how it's almost like packaged like a gangster movie, but it's almost tricking people into watching this romantic movie about a person who just wants to fall in love. But like the people in his life is just holding him back from having a, the life he wants. And he 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 t- tends to do that. He t- t- tries yeah. to infuse some kind of yeah. human emotion romance to it. But that whole thing is a recurring theme. Like everybody just wants some love, and it's just going all bad. It's also when we are introduced to Andy Lau uh, from uh, from uh, Wong Kar Wai's perspective, Maggie Chung, Jackie Chung. Uh, these are huge. Uh, Andy Lau and Jackie Chung, obviously huge cancel pop stars. Um, but funny thing is, I mean, I I listened to a lot of Andy Lau and Jackie Chung uh, music first, and then I didn't really, really know that they were actors until way later on in my life. And I was like, oh, I didn't know they acted. But I think I saw Andy Lau in like, it was like a card. Gosh. Oh, I think oh, I know man, what I you're talking about. Um, yeah, he's, it's like it's like the gambling. Yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. Whole, a whole bunch of gambler mobsters, like gambling it's, it's, masters. It, isn't it like King of Gamblers or some, something like yes. that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God of Gamblers, yes. something like that. Yeah. God of Gamblers. I remember I fucking loved that movie when <laughs> I was like a little kid. And I was like, this is awesome. This is how all gambling movies should be. You thought that when you were a little kid? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Spent a lot of time at the casinos. Yep. I was like, I can't wait to go to the casino and try to make cards fly. <laughs> Usually with every first film, it's like the new shiny object kind of thing. So I'm wondering if you guys also felt like that appeal of it being his first film. I, I definitely loved it because um, it really just showed from the start he had this vision for his style that he really developed. You really see that transition from as tears go by to days of being wild and just working from one cinematographer to another. I think he worked with Andrew Lau for as tears go by and then started his partnership with Christopher Doyle. And you just Mm -hmm. from one DP to the next, you just see his style from one movie to another and how it developed between two different DPs as well. Let's go right into it. So his next film after that, because he was kind of riding off of this high of as tears go by, he he made his film days of being wild and days of being wild i guess you know i would consider his more like wong kar wai like became more of his signature style but i right. think at the time audiences were not ready for it because going from as here goes by from a crime drama i guess from from face value but then days of being wild was really about a, like a character piece and people were just like what is this it's maybe a little bit they just thought it was too slow or just weren't there, uh, ready for it and so he he kind of it was at this like moment or this junction in it, early on in his career where people were kind of like, oh, maybe he was just like a one-time director thing. I'm, I'm, I gotta like admit, having your follow-up film not be so great has to have that kind of uh, doubt sink in a little bit. I mean, the man has a vision though, so like I can kind of see like the public not being ready for some of the strange stuff that's about to come because it just gets weirder after this. It doesn't get less weird. <laughs> 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 right? 
It does. Yeah. And that's, that's like his thing. He's like, okay, well, fuck, I'm just going to make the film that I want to make. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what makes him so great that like you, when you watch a Wong Kar Wai film, you are getting taken into his world and he's not answering to what he thinks is going to be popular, what he thinks is going to be palatable, like what kind of characters people want to see. He's just like really, I don't know, like expressing the humanity Mm-hmm. in in his characters and i think that's what like makes his work so um like not fascinating but like almost like mesmerizing because like they're subtle but they're also like they have a depth to them yeah i think that's what makes such a good director just knowing kind of what you like and not trying to create what you think other people might like so he went with mm. what he he had a vision for and did it and i guess as you mentioned it got weirder but it's like he knew what he liked so it's just something that no one else has seen before i think using david lynch as an example is like as a director who does weird stuff it it resonates with people because when you do something that's so uniquely you you end up creating something that's different that other people have yet to see right yeah and this was the first time he really started using his distinct directorial style um, with Days of Being Wild, where he just like experimented with having several fragmented narratives around different characters, and he really dove into the themes of um, time and love. And I gotta admit, like, um, I tried w- going on a Wong Kar Wai like marathon this week, but I could only watch four movies, and there's just so many, so I missed out on um, the first few of his films. Um, so I didn't see this one. But I know that it's it's definitely like the first time he started using that um, and experimenting with that that uh, distinct directorial style. Uh, like when I watched it, I don't think this one kept my attention as well as some of the other ones. It might have just been um, that like I wasn't really like that interested in this plot. Um, and like I think the other thing um, is that the fragmentation that we're talking about, like. In his, like, films that come after this one, I feel like he kind of gets better at, like, like hitting you with stuff, which I'll talk about later. Um, So th- this one, overall, I wouldn't say, like, stood out to me as one of my favorite Wong Kar Wai films, so I don't really have too much to say about it. Yeah, I actually really liked it because I started with Fallen Angels, then Chunking Express, and those movies, as you mentioned, felt fragmented as if, like, you're experiencing the movie as memories of other people. Whereas uh, Days of Being Wild, it felt more of it felt more of a linear story of this man who couldn't one feel like he could be loved. And at the same time he was looking for love while rejecting love. And I I, I think for me that resonated more as a male who went through his drunken youth you know, somewhat in similar circumstances and can relate a little bit more to that. But luckily, I got past that and I'm a functioning adult. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and also it's like Leslie Chung, who is like such a like he reappears and like Wong Kar Wai seems to work with the same actors like over and over again. And um, he has such a tortured, like sensitive, I don't know, thing about him. So uh, watching Leslie sort of like um, in Wong Kar Wai's films is is interesting, too, because he comes up again as that same kind of character in Happy yeah. Together and, and in Ashes of Time. Oh, so after that 
he came out with Chunking Express and Ashes of Time. So Ashes of Time, again, this is just kind of what generally what the public was saying is that it kind of also was a commercial flop as well, because a lot of people were expecting a a very typical wuxia, like martial arts, action packed Mm -hmm. film. But of course, Wong Kar Wai doing behind it, he didn't really focus on that. He, it was set in the context of like wuxia style, but it was more focused of narrative character pieces. And it was kind of disjointed in terms of the nonlinear fashion. So a lot of people were just thrown off in terms of what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, I also read that it was just a post-production nightmare for him. So he was just spending so much time on it that he had to go out and make chunking express is more of like his opportunity to be more comfortable. Like he's like, this is like, let me just, make a film that I'm more comfortable with. But Pragya, why is Ashes of Time one of your favorites? Oh, man. Okay. So, I mean, you explained about the Chunking Express and Ashes of Time, and they're very, very different films. Like, those two have almost nothing to do with each other. (laughs) Yeah, very different. (laughs) And Ashes of Time um, is based on uh, the legend of the Condor Heroes, which is actually, you know, kind of like a Harry Potter style in terms of how big and popular it is as a narrative. Um, And... I think there's there's a huge history. There's even like a parody of Ashes of Time where they make fun of like everything that happens in Ashes of Time. But Ashes of Time is where you see his like style with the fragmented stories, the character pieces um, just like go to like an extreme. And like a lot of times you can't even tell which character you're watching, who is being who. You have like one character that's switching between their male and their female side. Um, but what I really loved about that film is that Maggie shows up and I don't even think she's credited in the film, but she shows up in the last like five minutes, has like one scene and like she's like hello (laughs) not even like it's the most moody scene where she's like yeah like i loved him but i married his brother whatever like and then she's like i used to think i was a winner in love but i'm a loser and like that just like ties the whole film together Mm. and i'm not gonna give any spoilers but if you manage to get to the last like 10 minutes of the film you just you just like die inside you're like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) like you're like no Um, and so like, maybe I'll talk about it a little bit in a different segment, but I think that's one of the ones that like sticks with me too, like as a quote, as a character, like everything. Um, and that's for like the sort of like main character in Ashes of Time, Oyang Fang. He's like, he's a mess. He's a villain. He's a bad guy. But you know, like in Wong Kar Wai's like way, he makes him very like human and like understandable. So I, apparently he, he re-released it. There's a 2008 DVD Blu-ray version, uh, Ashes of Time Redux, mm-hmm. where the film was reduced from 100 minutes to 93 minutes. Oh, and it's so hard to watch. <laughs> oh, how, how, how come? Because it's very slow. It's like all of these just like vignettes and you're just like moving from scenes. It's it's super mm. experimental. And I can see why a lot of people wouldn't have liked it because it it's it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of your favorites. It's just want to reiterate that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites. That's It's the last okay. 10 minutes, like make the first like 130, 140. Wow. <laughs> okay. So it's not about the journey. It's about the destination. <laughs> well, it's it's more like it just gets tied together and you're like, ah, oh, I was being dragged along for a reason. It's very much like life. 
<laughs> in this case, the ends does justify the means. Well, yeah, so, sort of. You're like, damn, like, I just got, like, you know, dragged through the mud, but now I, I see why, and I just appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's the one film I I didn't watch. I started it at, like, 1 a.m. one night, and, like, I was 20 minutes, <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm You're trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that one will put you to sleep. I think I fell asleep yeah. during it once, but then woke back up and finished it. <laughs> So. And here's a you know here's the thing that I was thinking too about Wong Kar Wai films is like you really do have to be in a certain mood mm-hmm. to like watch it mm-hmm. like and pay attention to yeah. yeah to really pay attention to it to really appreciate it and it's almost kind of tragic that it took me a while to kind of get into it with you know you think about the time when these films came out no one had phones no one had social media and so whatever and most likely they were watching it in the theater and so when you're watching it in the theater you you have no choice but to focus in on the film but when i'm watching it at home uh there's so many potential distractions and i think we talked about this before baldwin in terms of like theater experience versus streaming experience mm-hmm. um but it does take away from it a little bit now that's just uh, that's a user based issue that's not the filmmaker's issue but it's just quite interesting the the uh, reception, the different reception that I had than I would have had maybe if I saw this in a theater. Did anyone else feel like that? Definitely. I think that's true of all of his films and our like lack of attention these days. Um, <laughs> so it's our fault. <laughs> it is. I mean, like we're on our like phones, we're watching YouTube, we're like, you know, getting like this like... <laughs> Working. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. We're super it's like sad. highly overstimulated. So like you, his, his films slow you down. Like you have to match their pace. Chunking Express, okay, Baldwin, uh, you want to talk about why you liked Chunking Express? Well, I personally, I feel like Chunking Express was his breakthrough film. You know, that depends on how you interpret breakthrough film, but just because of how refreshing and different it was from his, uh, his previous work in terms of the like, lighthearted vibe and just the process of making the movie. Um, and yeah, like we talked about, he made it while he was um, editing Ashes of Time and and like he was waiting for some equipment to arrive, but he just needed to detach himself from like the, the long editing process. So he made this movie in like two months and he was really able to infuse all of his trademark elements. And like people really enjoyed it, um, even though it was like super frenetic, super chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. And it got acquired for American distribution by Miramax, um, which led to it having that international attention. So. Um, I think that's really when Wong Kar Wai burst onto the scene. And um, yeah, I love it because just how like whimsical it is. Like you can't watch that movie and not feel some type of way about Fei Wong and Tony Leung. And I didn't realize um, until I watched it, but um, what was his name? Take- Takeshi Kanishiro? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't realize he was in it. And I was like, whoa, He's a that's baby. so cool. He looks so different. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I just love it because um, the fragmented style and the sort of the, the, the dichotomy of the two um, stories, you know, one with T- Takeshi um, and then the, the woman in the blonde wig and then Tony Leung the, uh, and then uh, Fei Wong. So. Fei Wong. Any Final Fantasy eight fans out there? I know, you should I was know thinking about that too. That song was so popular. <laughs> Again, I knew Fei Wong as a singer. I didn't know she was an actor as well. Um, yeah, I, when I was watching it, I was like, is this second part, second act supposed to connect to the first at some kind? Again, very American style film tra- uh, conditioned to be like, it's all got to connect. But 
I mean, at the end, it doesn't really connect. I mean, really, the only connecting piece of it is the is Chunking Express or or the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, or it's called Midnight Express, I think, in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like that was the only common uh, place for it. But I was also trying to figure out like where does this take place? Is the first one happened before the second one, or the second one happened before the first one? We don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it has that similar feeling of Hong Kong. Um, there's like that like sub arc of the Indian people stealing the drugs and <laughs> <laughs> the so random. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, ooh, man, I don't know this aged well. Yeah, well, no, it was great because, like, it had, like, the music and everything. So, like, it kind of did feel like, because I was in Asia when I was younger. I was living in India. So I was like, you know, I totally feel this connection and I can see them doing that. Um, but my favorite scenes. Putting putting up Coke up their butt. Oh, yeah. No, yes, exactly that. <laughs> um <laughs> And, and you know, I meant like, like, well, okay, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's not just coke up the butt, it's coke and a cocaine and a condom, and then up the butt. Yes, thanks for describing that. <laughs> I just want to make it clear just, yeah. that additional yeah. details really, really important. That was, I mean, if anything, that's what sold me to the film. I was like, hmm, yeah, you only heard that part, and that's why you wanted to start your <laughs> journey with Wonka. Why, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry, go ahead, <laughs> but um, my favorite part is um i think this is what connects the two probably um like metaphorically is um baby takeshi kanishiro sitting in the um in the in the a convenience store with his expired pineapple and he's yeah. like do mm-hmm. does everything expire and like um the second arc the second story which is like unrelated those two kind of go their separate ways but then they meet again so i think like there was just like something romantic going on there with the two different love stories that he was making a point about but like right. i think that's 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 the extent of it <laughs> uh, i i think the movie's just about like the people you kind of like well brush shoulders with right and like you'll either have these little moments with them well where you'll fall in love or you'll have these moments with them where they just leave this imprint in your memory and then they're gone and that's right. what it was with uh the woman in the blonde wig i'm not sure if she what what was her name i don't think she has one i think she's a woman in yeah. the blonde wig yeah, yeah. just woman yeah. in the blonde okay. wig yeah, like Takeshi with a woman in a blonde wig, they just had that night. It wasn't like sexual or anything. It was just like this moment that they had and just uh and and I actually love that part where he's running around the track and he says like run until you have no more like moisture in your body to like, <laughs> yeah. just like running and oh, God, oh God. <laughs> but but it was cool to like see him get that beeper call and you don't know right like that's where the story mm-hmm. ends and then i love how it's like his story continues on forever in your mind because right. you don't know where it goes and there's no definitive conclusion and that's what i felt like the big takeaway of chunking express was like life just continues on for the people you brush shoulders with right their lives continue after they walk out of your life so there's these like brief windows where you get to know them Mm. Yeah, I love how you how you mentioned that too. And just to like add on to that, you know, the idea of brushing shoulders with people, random moments of your life, it has the movie has a lot to do with timing too. Like you meeting you're meeting these people at different times in your life, and you know you're in a space where you can connect and create that intimacy and have that relationship, but it can't go any further than that because 
um, these people are just like at different moments in their life. Like um, with Tony Leung, like he's heartbroken over, um, or not, not really heartbroken, but he's thinking about uh, the woman that he broke up with. So his mind is just like on that. And he's sort of reeling from that experience. Um, whereas Fei Wong's character, she's like, she's creating this idea of Tony, Tony Leung's life, like as a dream. And she's trying to live that out. So they're, they're like meeting each other, but they're in their own separate like reality. And, um, you know, that's why I think it says a lot about how Wong Kar Wai sees love and timing and relationships. Like sometimes it just doesn't exactly work out because these characters are just at different times in their lives. And, um, they intersect, but it can't really go any further than that. Expired pineapple. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I was like, when he was eating that much pineapple, and then <laughs> he's like, "Does also, it lose like, its value because it's expired?" No. <laughs> I was also, I was like, "There has to be something that's going to happen to his body. You can't eat that many canned pineapples." And I'm glad they finally showed him throwing up. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes for a run. So. Yeah, and this guy does not sleep. He, I don't think he was just up all the time. He must have taken some of that coke up the butt. But, <laughs> uh, and also, uh, I want to ask this Pragya and Chunk for Chunking Express: too much or too little Tony Lung in uh, Tidy Whities? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I, I Tony is not my favorite for that. Like, if I want to see anyone in Tidy Whities, it's Andy, Andy Lau all the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> So Tony is just like, you know, like beautiful, older, like uh, very like elvish right. kind of like mm -hmm. entity. Yeah. So I, I didn't care for it. But I, I know a lot of people who did. <laughs> Lots of tidy whitey shots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, the Americana that's like infused in Chunking Express, which I also have to kind of say probably contributed to eventually making its way over to America, like with the, the California Dreamin' song that plays mm -hmm. over and over throughout the throughout the movie by the mamas and papas. I, I think that's just going back into how memories work, right? Like how a mm. song gets stuck in your head. And when a song gets stuck in your head, just like a memory, it just plays over and over and over again. And I mean, there's there's some interesting stuff in Chunking too, like when she's always playing the music way too loud during her shifts and like you can't hear anything and it's disorienting. And then there's like the Indian music in the first part that's just like playing over and over again. And you're like, what is he trying to do with this? But it's interesting. It sets the tone. Um, So there's like definitely like stuff going on there. I can't say I have a lot of insight into what he was going for. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I want to go move on to Fallen Angels and Happy Together. So I admittedly I have not seen Fallen Angels. I haven't seen but that I have either. seen Happy Together. I've seen it and I would want to say it's one of my favorites because it's so out there. It's probably one of his more... If you think Chungking Express was out there, Fallen Angels is even further out there. <laughs> and I love it for that. How How so? Um, it, It's just far more disorienting. The The story goes back towards like that kind of the gangster roots but it's a character mm -hmm. piece about a gangster wanting a better life for himself so it, i i can't really describe how it's out there it's just for me it was my first one car y movie mm. and i didn't understand it at first and then i a few years after watching it for the first time i watched it again and like something clicked for me and i just i just loved the movie because watching it for the second time i noticed that he was hinting at things at the beginning of the movie that happened at the end that I didn't catch because it's so all over the place. You're trying to like, 
figure out what's going on. All the characters are far crazier than in Chungking Express. It's like <laughs> Chungking Express is like something marketable, something cleaner. Fallen Angels is like, oh, this is kind of more of the underbelly of what you might run into in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just to give like a little bit of background to um, Wong Kar Wai originally wanted to make Chungking Express like three different stories. And Fallen Angels would have been the the third story, but he didn't. I think like he didn't have time to put it into that movie, so so he made a third movie. Oh, so so he made Fallen Angels after Chunking Express. You know, there's one interesting thing that I read about Wong Kar Wai is that he does not use a script more or less. Yeah, he kind of just uses it. He did call a script treatment, right? So he he basically says he can't can't really write until he gets to a location because that really dictates like how he feels and how he plans a shot. And it, it makes sense because there's an energy to places when you go to them, right? So you want to try and like capture as much of that energy in the frame that you're filming at. So I see where that comes from. But from another point of view, production wise, that seems like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. it is. It totally is. I think everyone complains about it. And people have like, I, I forget which film this was and who. Ex- oh, it was Ashes of Time. The the woman who plays um, the Muran Yin and Yang was like, I wanted to like kill him. But I think she also probably wanted to die. So <laughs> there, uh, yeah. clearly it it meshes well with people like Tony Long and mm-hmm. Maggie Chung and yeah, Annie Lau and Zhang No, 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 they love it. <laughs> yeah, because I have to imagine, like, at that point, they're like, okay, great. Like, I'm able to improvise and just go off of, like, raw emotion. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also, um, like you said, like, with the actors that he, like, works with over and over again, I think there's an understanding of, like, the sense that they're trying to convey like there's a sensibility to all of Wong Kar Wai's work which like I think we've even touched on it within the podcast where there's like the ways that people sort of pass each other by there's like love and it's sort of like transient quality versus like you know what life puts us through and then there's like a sort of like almost like a contemplative like buddhist nature to a lot of his work Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think the people who work with him can get a sense for what he's trying to draw out of the characters and there's probably a chemistry to it that like helps you know everybody sort of like become who they are in that film you can see kind of like the progression of how comfortable the actors are in you know from the earlier films to later in the Mm -hmm. films like you know, uh, compared from Chunking Express to 2046. Uh, and also the way that, and this may be a more of a Christopher Doyle kind of thing, but just the way that the frames and the shots really stick with the character. There's uh, so many uh, so many scenes where it's often Tony Lung's character and he's like not the best when it comes to women, but... <laughs> okay. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. But like he'll walk away or something like that, but then it'll like stick with the like the facial expressions of like the women and, and then you see them kind of go through like the emotional processing on their face. But also like Tony Lung's character oftentimes kind of goes through that as well. And I think it's just like one of those things where you notice that it does not cut away. It really sits there for the longest of times. And it's just because became so so distinct um sometimes i was like oh that's really beautiful sometimes uh, there are some moments i was like okay i think we've we we got it kind of thing but (laughs) (laughs) you know it you know that's like his his creative style so i wasn't wasn't uh, complaining too much 
Yeah, I, I loved when that happened in As Tears Go By, though, where Maggie Chung was watching Andy Lau get on the bus. Mm-hmm. And it just like stayed with her for, I think, a solid three, four minutes as she went through those emotions. And it was such a gradient from contemplative to just full blown tears. It was just, it, it was beautiful to watch. There's a reason why he likes to stick on these characters and it's to show like how they're feeling. Um, like one of the visual techniques that he uses is the, the step printing effect. Uh, which is when the protagonist is just like doing something in sort of slow motion and then everything else around them is going a million miles an hour. And this sort of like just detaches the, the character from everything around them and it really communicates sort of their, their feelings, like their feelings of alienation and solitude. Um, and then comparing that to the, the chaotic, chaotic and frenetic environment, um, in life around them in the city of Hong Kong. Um, so it's, it's just done like really masterfully and very beautiful. Annie's Tea Cakes is an Oakland-based food company on a mission to provide plant-based Chinese food options to the world. As a longtime plant-based eater, Annie started this business to create a way for herself and others to enjoy the foods often shared with family but don't fit a plant-based diet. The journey started with vegan Taiwanese pineapple cakes. Follow Annie's Tea Cakes on Instagram or go to annieteacakes.com to place your order today. I want to talk about Happy Together. So I actually really liked Happy Together, one of my top. Um, any any thoughts on Happy Together, where, where it kind of sits with y'all? Well, it's a political film in some ways. Like mm-hmm. it's talking about like the split there between like the mainland and like Hong Kong. Um, but you know, shown in um the allegory of a gay lover's bat <laughs> where they go to yeah. like a South American country. Um, overall that one was really fun for me to watch. My favorite scene is where he's cooking and he's just putting like tons of MSG into the food. And I was like, are we okay? What's, what's going on? <laughs> um, but no, that film there is, it's, it's, uh, I, it's one of my favorites too. I love Leslie's tortured character and like Tony being yeah. like, like, you know, kind of like normal. And then there's Chen Chang just like being like a very rational kind of supportive friend. Um, I think it has all of the qualities we were just talking about where it's like a character piece, but you know, there's more to it. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had quite the opening scene. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew it was a, I knew it was about two gay Asian men. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the opening scene, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was like the first, the first or second Wong Kar Wai movie I made my partner watch with me. Mm-hmm. But as soon as like the opening scene started, she, she looked at me and was like, is this why you like him so much? <laughs> <laughs> are you showing me this right now it, got, it just kept getting more graphic and i felt more yeah. and more awkward yeah i mean it was very very bold again i just kind of think about the context of when this movie came out mm-hmm. and you know to touch upon homosexuality especially in in asian or, or hong kong cinema and it's set in argentina um in a whole new location of at this point that was new for him but yeah, I do think it, this is like a really standout movie uh, for Leslie Chung for me. Like the all the scenes basically when they were in that tiny, tiny apartment and they were just and you could just see 
uh, Leslie Chung's character just start to get under the skin of Tony Long and it just like starts bothering him. But like, you know, like they're like slow dancing and the stacking the cigarettes. There's so many like, it's such a, it's like a love hate, right? Like you want to root mm-hmm. for them, but at the same time, you're like, this is toxic as hell. I know. Get, and then you got to wonder like, well, what's love? <laughs> so I think that's what makes all his movies so relatable. They're they're fantastical in a sense and dreamy in a sense, but mm-hmm. at, at the root of it, they're they're relatable human emotions that for those of us who have been lucky enough to fall in love and fall out of love, we can relate to like all these little little moments where we've had arguments and then made up, but then gone to a bigger argument and fallen out of love progressively or into love but mainly fall out of love with Wong Kar Wai. I mean, I don't know if I would say those two fell out of love. I think they just didn't work out. But like, even to the end, I think the love is still there. Yeah. And that's the thing with his films. It's like nothing ever lasts forever and everything has an expiration date and all that stuff. But yeah, I did want to mention, you know, the late Leslie Chung, who did pass away uh, at the age of 46, pretty, pretty young very known singer as well or can- cancel pop artist but yeah very pretty um he's like a pi- pioneer in terms of like a queer uh, actor uh, mm-hmm. during the time i mean he was openly bisexual i think and i think that made the film was a thing but i think that made his life quite difficult despite the way that yeah. the film was received so i didn't realize that he passed away so young and until i looked it up i was just like oh shit that committed suicide you know so it's kind of sad yeah. And I mean, he was tortured in a lot of ways. And I think he had a lot of supporters and a lot of people who loved him. So it was just like one of those like very like sensitive souls that brought so much to like, just like not only his work, but like he did a lot of like philanthropy as well. So definitely like kudos to Leslie Chung. I think there's still a lot of people who like, you know, think of him themselves as their fan or as his fan. <laughs> I mean, he definitely brought it on screen. You could see it on screen too, just like just the raw motion and in, in, in his performances. Um, okay, we can move on to his one of his touchstone films, "In the Mood for Love." Yes, I mean, this is definitely like my favorite film of his. Um, I I originally felt like twenty forty six would be my favorite, but if there's one that tops it, it's definitely "In the Mood for Love," um, and. I think it's maybe because it's more a little bit more self-contained and that leads it to feel a little bit more intimate um, and easier to get into. But that movie is just such a vibe, man. Like I can remember seeing like screen caps of it on Tumblr all the time. And, you know, there's that one scene where uh, Maggie Chung is just laying on his bed and he's he's asleep in his chair and there's just just, uh, panning overhead shot of them. And it's it's just such a mood Um, and like everything, the set design, the wardrobe. Um, I mean, Maggie Chung and Tony Leung just basically became style icons for me after this movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, with the cinematography too, it's so distinct. Like, you could spot it from a mile away um, in terms of Wong Kar Wai's style. Very beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Adding all those different layers um, of framing, saturated colors, playing with speed, and then uh, being in that urban Hong Kong setting is just so central and really conveys so much emotion. Um, to like what we feel from the scene um, and like the way he uses colors and sounds and light um, it just creates this atmosphere that shows the character's mood but yeah other than the cinematography what, re- what I really thought was 
special about this movie was the way Wong Kar Wai is able to excel at creating intimacy uh, by using dialogue and body language and camera effects and all these stylistic elements. Mm-hmm. Like what all this does is add different layers of intimacy. Um, and it also like I think it creates a distance between the characters emotionally too. Like the two main characters are obviously attracted to each other. Um, and they have this very strong emotional bond. Um, and yeah, you can see that in the way they talk to each other and how they interact. Um, and they become, they talk about very personal and, um, vulnerable things. But at the same time, you feel like there's this huge gap between them. They pull, they like pull away from each other, uh, before they let anything happen. And, you know, I think that it's like what I said about before about Chunking Express. They're in just two different places in that period of their, of their life. That's why I think timing is such a huge element. And like by the end of it, like I got to admit, I desperately wanted them to get together. Uh, but overall, I think the themes of like alienation, loneliness and, and solitude really come through very powerfully. Um, and I connected with that um, in a very big way. And I think a lot of people do. Um, there's just like there's this random quote that I think of um, that comes to mind while I'm watching Wong Kar Wai's movies. Um, it's most men live lives of quiet desperation. And, you know, that quote doesn't really have, it, did, it didn't come out of this movie, but it, it just fits so well. That sense of yearning and longing that permeates throughout the movie and how Wong Kar Wai is able to romanticize those themes of love and loneliness and isolation so well. Anyone want to add to that? <laughs> I mean, I think Baldwin covered it. I said a lot. <laughs> I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sensuality definitely comes through, like, the way that it's shot. Like, you have those scenes of, like, Maggie's hand and, like, just, like, she, like, just, like, moves it slightly. And you're just, like, oh, like, okay. (laughs) The dress, like, you know, it's literally the dress. It's so sensual. Exactly. Like, very subtle things that, like, um, just make, like, a big impact. Um, It's not my favorite one of his films. Um, Maybe because I, I like, um to be baffled and that one is like straightforward <laughs> <laughs> in yeah, its sensuality yeah 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 right um but i agree towards the end i was just like okay if this doesn't happen i'm gonna be so mad like why is it so beautiful but no <laughs> but at the same time i did think that the characters come through with their sort of like stubborn insistence to not be like their spouses so i thought that that was a mm-hmm. very cute theme to keep for that film because his right. other films aren't really like this so i thought that like diligent some kind of purity in a way yeah. <laughs> yes it was cute i mean this movie kind of satisfies a lot of guys fantasies where they have a super hot neighbor move in <laughs> and if it's like if it's maggie chung you're like jesus christ okay <laughs> like hell yes it's like yes i'm never moving again um okay uh anyone know this and i looked this up uh maggie chung's character mrs chen had multiple multiple costume changes or her she wears very different dresses anyone know how many different dresses she has in the whole movie i have no idea it's gotta be at least like 13 it's a lot (laughs) I'll, i'll take i'll take guesses give me a number i said 13 i'll go 15 uh, I'll go uh, 2,046. <laughs> <laughs> 2,046. <laughs> Clever. Uh, it's 46. Dang. Holy shit. <laughs> so Han was actually oh, the closest. Was half, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were there. Was, you were, sort of the you were 2,000 off. Idea. 
<laughs> but you got the number in there. You got 46 in there. I can edit out the 2000 part out and then yeah, you'll just yeah, keep just, the part. Just in make it as abrupt, as weird as possible <laughs> to make it clear that you did that to help me out. Does anyone know how many different dresses she has in the whole movie? 46. And then um, the, his next film, 2046. So I guess I also I wanted to point out, I guess there's like a, it's like a pseudo sequel to each other. Or I know that I think Days of Being Wild, In the Mood for Love and 2046 are somewhat linked to each other in a while. Connected, yeah. Connected, right. Especially with uh, Tony Long's character, Mr. Chow, kind of shows up as this recurring character. But not official sequel, but kind of uh, linked together. Um, okay, but 2046, his follow-up, and this, I think, really put him kind of in that upper echelon of directors. I think I like this more than In the Mood for Love, mainly because it it's supplemented In the Mood for Love for me. So mm. I watched it without knowing any of the details. I, I just started watching it. And I was like, wait, hold on. Is this the same guy from yeah. In the Mood for Love? yeah i know what you mean and as it slowly dawned on me i was like oh wow like yeah like he's a writer he's talking about this woman he fell in love with that he couldn't be with i was like oh this is the exact same character and it's interesting to see how um much like how chungking express was the light side um and fallen angels was the dark side in the mood for love was the bright side and 2046 was the dark side it was like all right this guy his heart broken. He got his heart broken in two different ways. And he's just like more or less given up on love. And he's just living in his life in a sense that like he'll never fall in love again. So like he's living this like scorched earth approach to like how he treats women. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Those are my favorite For types real. of men. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just tough to see, you know, because you know he has love to give, but because right. of what happened, he refuses. So it's going back to like how Leslie was in days of being wild. Like mm. he wants to be loved, but he thinks he's incapable of being loved. Right. Therefore hurts others. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's hurt, so he he's he does either he realizes it or he doesn't, but he's hurting others in the process and he's creating that cycle of hurt. Mm. Man, my life story. Anyways, <laughs> what do you say, Praga? I mean, um, just the, that <laughs> description was so good. Uh, what, I forgot what you said exactly, but about like scorched earth. Scorched earth. <laughs> it was it's so like, good. It's like, what's your dating life like? <laughs> no, it's kind of scorched earth. Yeah, <laughs> just like scorched earth after the ashes settle, the ground becomes more fertile and hopefully something blooms from it. <laughs> Mr. Brightside just got yeah. left on the oh, closet. Okay. As long as they didn't salt the earth after that, then poetic. Very poetic. Oh my God. I know, I know. That was so good. This is the highlight. <laughs> but um no, I was thinking more like Russia post, you know, like World War II, Germany's going in and Russia's just burning shit down. <laughs> that's that's more like what my love life is like. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um but oh man, I have to say there is an appeal to like those darker characters, the ones that are just like absolute mess. They're they're struggling. They're making everyone else struggle. But you can kind of understand the suffering. 
Yeah. Um, I like what you said about the dark side and the light side, because one of the things um, I was thinking of as you were saying that was that in the Grandmaster, um, which obviously we'll probably get to, but we had like a whole podcast mm-hmm. on this. Um, when uh, they meet the last time, Gonger and Ip Man, um, there's this idea that like all meetings are reunions after a really long time. And that they'll, they'll like see each other again or something like that. And like the fact that like that happens in his filmography is really cool. Um, with his right. other stories. And it's also kind of in a way with all the actors kind of coming back, you know, all the recurring actors. He has his own cinematic universe, like the Wong yeah. cinematic universe. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> it's like bringing all the Avengers back. And they're like, hey, it's all, hey, what's up, everyone? <laughs> it's Mr. Chow. <laughs> Tony plays that Samuel L. character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Fury. Got the stash and everything. Um, I, with 2046, a lot of the things which just didn't age well. It's just funny watching it now. And, you know, that way that he basically forces himself upon women. I'm like, <laughs> oh. I'm like, man, I, it's like weird watching this now. Like consent, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That happens in Ashes of Time, too, where you're like, was that? What? Did I just? But Okay. Yeah, it's crazy to think how much crap women probably had to deal with decades before. Is like, it's it's better now, but it's just. It, I mean, it still happens, yeah. but it must have been so much worse. Like just watching something like Mad Men. Like each mm-hmm. decade you go back, it's like wow, it's it was really crappy. <laughs> yeah, and the women are like they just have to brush it off too because they don't want to like make it a huge problem. So. Yeah, I, I agree, definitely agree with what you said. And also I noticed, and I don't know if this is the case because I haven't seen all his movies, but 2046 is much more erotic. Like he was able to, like he kind of grew mm-hmm. from kind of that unrequited, innocent love kind of feel in, in his earlier films. And then 2046, he's just like, I'm just going to go full in like prostitution and sex. Tony Leung's ass. Tony Leung's ass. And he's just like <laughs> all up in there. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm going all in, baby. You got to say... uh with 2046, Zhang Ziyi is like amazing. She looks so beautiful in that movie. Yeah, I you know, it a few days ago. she she's definitely in everything that she's I've seen so far of his. She's definitely been like the standout. She just like mm-hmm. kills it on screen. I know it's not Wong Kar Wai, but her and him and Maggie and Hero, so good, so amazing that movie. Yeah, and you know, with 2046. Um, I will say, I think that he takes all of his trademark elements to another level. Um, it almost feels like a sci-fi movie at times. Um, and, you know, especially with the narrative style, like we talked about, it's very different from the con- conventional methods that are usually very linear in storytelling. Like, he ignores the normal narrative development. And he said, instead, he does it in a way that's very fragmented and feels very chaotic at times. Uh, like one minute you see these two people having a conversation just alone in the room. And then the next, it just jumps to um, another moment where they're in a group sitting at a restaurant or in the city. And you don't really know how much time has passed, but he does this really purposefully. And I think it's really to show that just like his idea of memories and his idea of time, uh, like I said before, you know, memories aren't really linear most of the times. It's just little moments that pop up in your mind and Oftentimes, you don't really remember what happened before or after. It's just that little moment. And so with Wong Kar Wai, he's sort of like creating a mosaic of experiences um, and feelings and relationships, too. And I think it's all to really represent in his own way his 
idea of love and time and loneliness too. Also, shout out to early 2000s computer graphics. Man. <laughs> oh God, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the train. Yeah, the train. I was like, man, we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you want to see bad CGI, I actually rewatched Spawn. Uh, okay, so uh. I was literally just, that was in my head. That that literally just reminded me of that movie, Spawn. I was like, this looks a lot like Spawn when he's like in hell. And I was like, that looks pretty <laughs> oh, yeah. much like that. Okay, let's get into My Blueberry Nights. So his, this is when his like first English speaking film. I actually liked it. I could see why, you know, it was a little bit off and it just maybe didn't translate well going from an, uh, from a Hong Kong setting or Chinese setting over to American setting. But I, I enjoyed it. Anyone else agree, disagree? Yeah, I didn't watch this one. It just didn't capture my interest. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. I watched okay, it wow. a long, long time ago, but I just can't remember exactly what happened. I think I was like in high school at the time. So basically, it's very much... Similar and signature to Wong Kong Wai's style. Um, you know, it, it deals with loneliness and it deals with this stilted lover who's kind of been shafted, um, starring Nora Jones. And I think it was her acting debut, actually. And then she kind of kind of goes on this ca- cross-country journey to meet different people, uh, like and meeting strangers, having these small moments with them or, or memorable instances with them, and then ultimately kind of coming back to like the central lover, love interest uh, played by Jude Law, a very young Jude Law. Actually, Jude Law looks exactly the same yeah. now than yeah. he did then. So he didn't age at all. He's Jude Law. But, you know, like Natalie Portman's in it. Rachel Wise is in it. I think his style of dialogue, and he probably kind of gave it the same treatment in terms of not really having a script or having a thin material to work with for the actors and perhaps maybe because it was like a whole new set of actors they didn't have that level of trust and rapport with him so it didn't quite translate on screen but overall like in terms of like a film I thought it was fine um sure I would say probably one of the weaker films of his but a lot of people said it was like terrible and I was like I didn't think it was that terrible you know I think it was still very stylistically very beautiful mm-hmm. right it still had his very hallmarks of like very vibrant colors and um you know city life and it was like kind of starting it, it kind of sets place in New York but I enjoyed it I didn't have any issues with it so I think people need to calm the f down <laughs> I don't even know who I'm talking to out there <laughs> You're like you out there who is talking shit about this film. The straw man. Uh, <laughs> and then lastly, his last big movie, if you will, I guess, is uh, The Grandmaster. So, Proggy, you mentioned that we did an episode on Grandmaster. So, we've talked in detail about the film specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I think it was, for me, it was his basically his redo of wuxia again he kind of <laughs> said okay well uh, he's like ashes of time i gotcha let me get back at it and then let me focus in on Ip man mm-hmm. the iconic Ip man but he did it again he he did it in his own way but i think he did it right this time well okay do not talk crap about ashes of time no, i'm just kidding um, <laughs> they're, they're very very different films ashes of yeah. time um i think we all watch shang chi right um you know how there are those scenes uh with the parents getting together and they have like that really yeah. like strange kind of kung fu stuff going on i gaze yeah 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 I, all of that i fucking oh, right. that is ashes of time and then Grandmaster is much more like what's going on, um, like when they go to like that, that mystical, uh, Asian land. 
fight and like learn to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, those Talo. Films, yeah, Talo. So the films are <laughs> quite different. And I don't think that like he probably views Ashes of Time as a flop. And I wouldn't view it that way either. Um, because like <laughs> if you watch the film, you you would like see that like the rhetorical sort of like intent in both of those films is completely different. Yeah, mm. but Grandmaster is a beautiful film, and like obviously I'm a fan because like uh, there's this whole story about me fighting Ray over. <laughs> the- <laughs> oh yeah, I listened to that recently. <laughs> over the Chinese version of the film, but you know. I almost got excommunicado. <laughs> <laughs> um, Han, what's your take on Grandmaster? I tried putting it on at a party. <laughs> I was the only one interested in it. What? No one else did, so I had to give up shortly after. Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm that kind of guy that puts on movies. Like no one probably like, yeah, let's put on this movie that like requires a lot of attention while everyone else is drinking and yeah, talking yeah. loud. To be fair, it's got some action to it. it so does. I could see I could see, you know an opportunity there yeah i gotcha it could be like a mood piece in the back but like kind of needs to be a swanky party can't be like people playing beer pong <laughs> and like grandmaster <laughs> is like going off in the back about like the politics of china after the, the king dynasty yeah. or the Qing dynasty and in gonger going for revenge i know right <laughs> yeah taking her family's legacy back <laughs> how about you ball when you weren't on the grandmaster episode so what's your take no. on it so I actually watched this um, a few days ago, and I did I had the mistake. Which version did you watch? <laughs> uh, the pi- what are, the pirated version. I don't know which one it was. <laughs> wait, but, wait, wait. Um, um, what's up with the two versions? Um, basically, like Gong Air is like the female character um, in the the Chinese version, and like about like forty minutes of her of her entire character arc gets taken out for the American yeah, version by Miramax. Yeah. So, which one did you watch? Did she have a story, or did she not have a story? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the one I watched was about a little over two hours long, um, mm-hmm. and I felt that she did have a story, but I was going to say I made the mistake of watching it um, as I was working because I was trying to get through as many one car Y movies as I could. And I, I just couldn't really get into it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say about um, the Grandmaster is you can really tell the difference in like the production and how much funding it had because it was just like so much more artistic, um, artistically and like technically superior to a lot of his other films, like in terms of yeah, just like cinematography, like he had so many things at his disposal. Um, and he uses like a lot of form and visuals and themes that are really consistent with, um, his old work, like honor, tradition and, and justice. Um, but yeah, it's just so different because you could really tell the, the production value is so much higher. Mm-hmm. Right. And all the actors had to train for like five years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They through. went through intense <laughs> yeah. training for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he really put them through the ringer. And you could tell, you know, and also a funny thing is like Grandmaster was the very first film that I watched of his and then kind of going backwards. You could see that the fundamentals were there. You could see how he had developed such a style that it was like, I know my own style. But now he had the the tools to really convey that to like, be have it be so refined mm-hmm. and then just so like technically polished but very much still like the same throughout there's like mm-hmm. his style um and him and christopher doyle's style kind of throughout all the films but yeah the with the grand master it was 
um, done so in a way, especially with like the snow and then the fight fighting scenes and everything's like closely shot mm-hmm. and the intimacy and the sensibilities of all the fight scenes is really, really great to see. Um, speaking of which, I want to go through, I was going to say it's probably top. No, man, I, now I did a top five, but you, we were doing it to top three. So now I have to kind of reshuffle my list, <laughs> but well, let's go through our top three Wong Kar Wai films. Who wants to go first? Okay, I'll go first. So my favorite is obviously Ashes of Time, which I keep talking about, <laughs> which I hope I've talked that. about <laughs> enough that like people will, you know, sit through the first hour and 30 minutes to like, you know, get to the last 10 minutes and be like, oh, so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ashes of Time. And then after that is the Grandmaster. Um, so I like that one just because um, I think like I like historical pieces and I like how well um, they sort of or he handles um, sort of the cultural um, moment that the Grandmaster yeah. is in. Um, but it's also like his most technically refined, as you guys are saying. So that's the film where like um, he's clearly like got his bragging rights of like i am a you know a plus plus director i can do big time yeah yeah <laughs> and look at my big balls i am ba- basically right like that's that film and then i think my third one is chunking express and and i think that has to do with um like the pineapples <laughs> <laughs> just because of the pineapples <laughs> yeah like the canned pineapples is such a metaphor for my life no i'm just kidding but um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah no i really like that um that film's like vibe and overall like just yeah so those are my three i think days of being wild fallen angels and chunking express or mm. i don't know it's hard to it, it's really hard to choose i know like, i know um I, I don't know for some reason i want to say as tears go by because it was the most recent one i watched and th- there was something a little bit more raw about it. I-, I just love watching directors' early works and just seeing how scrappy they have to be in terms of production, what they have to do. Like using an example, I watched um, Begon's uh, Kylie Blue. And just to see, like, if you want to see a really stark contrast between, like, early first film production and how, like, what's like when you have more money is like, his work on Cali Blue to his second movie of Long Day's Journey into Night is just, I, I guess I love As Tears Go By because you see how like he's trying to develop these styles. He's developing this way of writing, uh, directing, and cinematography that like kind of set the basis for a lot of what you see later. I would say uh, number three is Chunking Express, uh, just because like how refreshing that movie is. and. Um, it's just the story is so fragmented and chaotic and uh, like frenzied, but the characters are so like interesting and lovable and like easy to watch. Um, especially like Fei Wong, um, just like dancing to California Dreamin'. Uh, it just puts you in that that uh, that space. And then I think number two and number one, I would go in order twenty forty six and in the mood for love. And I I sort of put them together just because of the vibe and um atmosphere that it really creates i'm like a huge like you guys all know i'm a huge lover of cinematography so that's like very high on my criteria list and i think it's just like watching those movies i can't take my eyes off of it like i need to see everything and every single frame is almost like a photograph in terms of um yeah how it's framed in the cinematography chunking express 2046 and in a mood for love 
Okay, so for me, I'll go for three, two, one. I think three is in in the mood for love for me. Two is the Grandmaster, and number one actually for me is Happy Together, and I I really do like Happy Together because of you know just the the messaging and also the context of when the movie came out. Like also I like came out in 1997, and this is kind of right when Hong Kong was being handed over from the British to China. And so there's all this social political background to it as well. Obviously, it deals with uh, marginalization and uh, displays two gay men, two gay Asian men on screen at a time that was so like not popular or not common. Um, But also just the acting and the performances of Leslie Chung and Tony Leung in these really stood out to me. Um, They had great chemistry together and they, they were able to show love for each other very naturally, but also hate each other very naturally as well. So they just really went through the gamut and the spectrum of emotions. So I really like Happy Together. I think I actually really enjoyed that one. Um, Okay, so last thing we're going to talk about is, you know, Grandmaster 2013, last big movie that he directed. Any any idea in terms of what you think he's going to have in store next? I mean, I read that he was supposed to actually direct the House of Gucci movie that came out last really? year. That's yeah. interesting. He, he, he was, I guess, tapped to direct that movie in, in 2016. The movie came out in 2021, but uh, it ultimately went to Ridley Scott. I think um, he's got Blossoms in Shanghai, which I saw a little bit of a trailer for. Um, I don't know why, but that trailer didn't circulate that much. But it looks real good. It looks it looks really um, Wong Kar Wai, and it, it hits that right note. So I'm wondering when that's going to come out or what that is. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think you know, since the last movie he did was a big production action movie, what I'd like to see actually is um, what else he can do in that space. You know, he has he got a taste of it with the Grandmaster, so hopefully he's like, oh, I want more of that. But I hope yeah. he really goes back to his previous style um, and does another art house type movie. Like we're seeing a lot of those types of Asian movies, but Wong Kar Wai is, he's a master, right? Um, he's at another level. Um, and it's been a few years um, since he do- he's done one of those types of movies. So I'm kind of starving for another one of those films. But I think what would be really cool is if he sort of mixed those two genres together and did sort of like a sci-fi steampunk action movie. Mm. Um, that's that's something like I've always wanted to see from him, just because he has a lot of those elements already in his movies. It's like a little. There was like a little preview of that in 2046. Yeah, exactly. I want more. I think I want to see a happy ending. Like I just want to see like a <laughs> no, a cute that ruin it. <laughs> this isn't like a car wide. Like a couple right? actually getting it's, together. It's like, like Final oh. Fantasy, right? Like they always yeah. get split up at the end somehow. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I want to see. I want to see a slight change in in um, the theme there, and like I just want to see like a daily like Mr. Life. Chow, and Mrs. Chen actually yeah. getting together. Like slice I of life. That like, actually. Yeah, cooking, cooking <laughs> yeah. dinner together, and like I don't know, <gasps> contemplating life. <laughs> Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they meet on a on a train station. They're like, oh my god, it's you in Singapore and stuff like that. <laughs> and they and have like their past life memories. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Sorry. And and then Miss Chen is like, Mister Chow, like, what have you been up to? He's like, oh, you know, sleeping with a whole bunch of women. You know, you know doing whatever. Right. 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 Uh, I, I would love to see him 
go back more towards his roots, just kind of like how uh, Bong Joon-ho went from something like Snowpiercer, bigger budget, bigger production, and went to Parasite and had more of a stripped down story. And I want him to tackle old love or older love, to be exact. What's like to be- Like old people love? Exactly. Like what? what's like, like imagine being with someone for 50 years of your life. Ah. Okay, see, happy endings, not just kidding. <laughs> and then they die. But that's okay. That's okay. That happens. That's and then still... they die. And how you pick yourself up from those pieces and what mm, it might so be like, like to loss fall in and love grief. later in life. Oh. Right. Because so, like we always see stories about how people fall in love right. the when meeting. they're young because it's sexy. It's a romantic. Everyone can relate to it. But I don't think there are movies out there that focus on older people falling in love, obviously, but right. I want to see Wong Kar Wai do something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I'm, I'm curious how he'll make it romantic, sad, heart-wrenching, but also somewhat hopeful mm-hmm. and see how, like, the story continues on within mm. our minds because, like, there's those ambiguous endings that he has in his early works that I really love and I want to see how something like that plays out for older people. And he can still cast Tony. Yeah, he, maybe yeah, he's just waiting for ten, Tony to age. In 10 years, when Tony's like, I don't even know how old he is now. But he's yeah, in his 10 60s years later, now, he's I think. Getting a little gray. Yeah. Is he really in Gosh, his 60s? He, do, he doesn't look like it at mm-hmm. all. He looks good. He does. That a- Asian don't raisin, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he's he's 59. I just looked he's it up. He's 59, okay. Yeah, but he's, he's almost tur- uh, He's turning 60 this year. Yeah. His birthday's in June. June 27th, so wish him happy birthday, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, um, that's going to wrap up this uh, episode of Real Asian Podcast. want to thank Pragya, Baldwin, and of course, Han. Thank you again for coming back. Tune in next time for another episode of Real Asian Podcast. <laughs>